it was genuinely both exhilarating and horrifying but it was kind of like a slow build of being horrifying the more real the situation got to you and then once you jump and fall the exhilaration takes the lead pretty fast in terms of what you're feeling This is Champagne is also a band podcast. One songwriter, one song. I'm Sven, your host for a journey into the music of Champaign-Urbana. Recorded in the Blue Box studio with a songwriter from the Champaign-Urbana music scene, past or present. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to be a part of the Champagne Showers podcast network. Welcome to Champagne is also a band podcast. Today I have Max Simchek and Eric Paulus. And you may know them both from the band Blues Lawyer Jr. and also their newest project, Stanchik. Max and Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's an absolute honor to be here. Yeah, thank you. Gonna be a good interview. I'm excited. So today we're gonna be listening to your song airplane off of and well it's at this point it's unreleased without further ado let's listen to the song Right back to 
Welcome back. So, of course, my first and favorite question to always ask is, what came first? Was it the music or was it the lyrics? It was definitely the music. This was an idea, and the first thing that came first in this song was the sort of galloping little minor riff in the verses and the bass line that came into my head first and then brought them to Thomas and Eric many, many moons ago. And then musically, the rest of the song was fleshed out from there. Eric, if you want to speak to the bridge portion. Yeah, so especially with Aeroplane, it was a huge collaborative effort. In my mind, the song kind of works in, you know, different different sections and each section was kind of written by a a different person almost and it's something that we kind of just worked out while we were rehearsing it it went through many many changes we performed it in several different ways but we're all really happy with the final product and the cohesiveness of the song itself you had mentioned when we were originally talking about interviewing about this song, mm-hmm. um, you mentioned that both you and Eric had worked out writing verses. One of you took one of the verses, one of you took the other one. I'm just kind of curious. So how was that decided? Or was it that you didn't have a, a good lead in verse mm-hmm. and then you needed the lead in verse or you needed a second verse? So when it comes to the writing and sections of the lyrics, the first verse was penned by our frontman and good buddy Thomas McDonald. He kind of took the lead with that in in the spirit of collaboration when he sort of hit a wall creatively on what he wanted the second verse to be. I threw some lyrics that I had cooked up that were kind of thematically similar. I'm not a good singer. I like the idea of being able to like front and play guitar and sing, but one of the biggest problems I think I would have with it is the splicing and cutting of lyrics to fit into a song structure. I remember in an even earlier band I was in in college, our old singer would go to me and be like, Max, I like the wordplay here, but it's just too many damn words. Like, I can't sing this. And he was a musical theater guy, so he like he knew exactly how to ebb and flow between things, and I had no such background. I had passion and ideas, but no means on how to cut them in. But when I took the second verse of lyrics to Thomas and Airplane, they just got a little polishing up, a little trimming up, and they were good to go and felt powerful and still thematically relevant. The, the lyrics came into being after you'd kind of formed the shape of the entire song and then you just said okay that's always interesting to me so the musical aspect all of that was put together there may have been some minor changes afterwards but Mm -hmm. for the most part the structure was there Mm -hmm. i'm curious when did the concept of the idea of aeroplane come into being when did you know that that was going to be the this is actually a very entertaining story This was actually before I was invited to join the band. So this song was kind of in the works as I joined. We had the rhythm for the for the verse and the chorus. Well, not even the chorus. We just had a a verse completely done when I joined the band and it already had the name airplane kind of attached to it because Thomas would put his phone into airplane mode while they would while the previous iteration of Blues Lawyer Jr. would rehearse and he would announce it in their demos. Just airplane. And then they would play the song. Airplane. Yeah. It was kind of a joke, but he was putting his phone into airplane mode so he would not be disturbed by his girlfriend at the time. 
<laughs> and so it had absolutely no basis behind it. It was just a meme name that ended up sticking. And the reason that it ended up sticking was of a lot of developments that had happened last summer in 2022 by the time Eric was in the band. We are all graduates of 2022 at U of I and Thomas had found work in Aurora with an electrical company that works in hospitals. He would still be coming down every weekend to hang out with us but the grind of his job was starting to get to him and we had this really fun and incredibly serendipitous experience at uh, the end of the summer, my girlfriend has had this dream for a while to finally go skydiving because her parents met when they were skydiving. Thomas came with us. We got a bunch of our friends to go. It was a super exhilarating and fun experience in the most physical and tangible way. Makes you realize, wow, I'm a living person in the real world and the things I do matter and can have some form of permanence and remembrance and it was kind of like a kick in the ass for us to like quit with the like nebulousness or at least chronicle that nebulousness as it exists that's kind of conceptually going into the lyrics there what it was like when we realized oh this is what this song that we've been throwing around between all of our friends and different members this is what it has to at least kind of esoterically be about a leap of faith in the chorus specifically talking about a red maneuver like that doesn't mean much to anyone but when we, we were all jumping out of a plane the people who were our guides because we're all first time skydivers we have to have someone attached to us and they're like okay when we have the parachute deployed and we're making fun moves in the air we can have green maneuvers, which are super nice and easy, and yellow maneuvers, which is like, whoa, that's getting there, and like red maneuvers, which is like, we have to control that, and it's the most extreme, but the most fun. And then we're just kind of like, hey, let's just take the red one for a change. In the lyrics about red maneuver in the chorus, it's like talking about how like sometimes you don't always feel like it, like you're the person who wants to like take agency and take risks, but it's really like rewarding when you do. You mentioned the red maneuver. I admit I had not heard of that, but of course, I think it's funny that in querying this, it came up often in the terms of flying games within video games. The interwebs was a little nebulous in terms of like, okay, so what does that mean? And it's basically just levels of of stress or levels of difficulty. So I'm kind of curious, when did the aspect of red maneuver like get dropped in as, if I'm calling this wrong, let me know. I'm thinking of this as the chorus, right? So... <laughs> yes, it is. So, I, I mean, I, I, I love calling something and they're like, no, 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 that's the bridge. And I'm like, doggone it. No, that's the pre-chorus. No. Okay. I'm curious about the choice of using a red maneuver and using that in a reflection about maybe ordinary life versus extraordinary moments versus exceeding your own personal, should I say, abilities, mm -hmm. something that you didn't think you could possibly do. I find it funny that there's this sense of airplane, you know, based on someone putting their phone in airplane mode, you jumping out of an airplane, a song that you already had as airplane named airplane was that like a should i say a light bulb moment where you're like okay these should come together it was honestly almost immediately after thomas and max both went skydiving i very clearly remember getting a phone call from both of them moments after they had landed back on the ground explaining the concept of red maneuver to me they took it and went with it it almost was the name of the song for a while actually 
it was looking like that was going to be the name of the song up until we finished the full recording process. But we decided to keep it true to airplane because they go hand in hand in terms of like knowing what a red maneuver is it's a skydiving thing airplane makes sense right it was essentially immediate when they got back they just knew what the song was going to be about where was this recorded my living room did you record it live or did you okay we turned our entire living room into a faux studio for about a weekend we gathered all the blankets in our house all the soundproofing foam anything we could get to turn our living room into a workable place to live record. We didn't feel that individual tracking would really get across our ideals as a band. Pro tip, recliners sticking just out from a corner with your amp in the corner and miking it. Mm. It's it's a really good way to get an isolated sound when there's a bunch of other live instrumentation going around it. (laughs) But other people have probably done that before us. Well, when you say individual tracking, you recorded it all at the same time yeah. with no overdubs. Not blending But you in. did actually have individual tracks for each of the microphones, well, yeah, right? Cut that so, yeah, I feel yeah, stupid. Okay. Yeah. I'm just, I was just clarifying. I want to go into some of the lyrics. So, I'm guessing, you know, that the in- inspiration of the from way up here in this Cessna confessional, Tomorrow Seems a Life Away, I'm assuming that's kind of the sitting up in the airplane cargo hold before you're going to jump you know you're thinking about in my interpretation i was thinking of this the the potential for death one might reconsider their their life choices and maybe have their own confessional whether it's to themselves or to a higher power etc just before your life disappears but the second verse is i'm just a leap of faith and a few deep breaths from touchdown confetti and fireworks then straight back to mundane I think that it's interesting that between the two verses, you're talking about the actual process of skydiving and landing and thinking about how now that you've experienced this amazing, incredible, exciting thing that now you have to, you know, then straight to back to mundane. Was it a terrifying experience or was it just thrilling? Like, or is that all the same anyway? I mean, I can only speak to my own lived experience, which is why I think that you can draw so much difference between the two verses as I wrote the second one and uh, Thomas wrote the first one. But I do think that it was both thrilling and horrifying. The real horror is when the plane gets off the ground and everybody's packed in and you're looking at all your friends like joking louder than you usually do and, and hyping each other up. I know one of our friends was extremely anxious about it, but we knew we were attached to professionals, but that doesn't make everything easier. It makes it a lot easier, but it doesn't make it perfect. Once you just fall off, it's when you realize, well, I'm in it now. It really, it it was both. It was genuinely both exhilarating and horrifying, but it was kind of like a slow build of being horrifying the more real the situation got to you. And then once you jump and fall, the exhilaration takes the lead pretty fast in terms of what you're feeling. That's at least what I recall from it. Yeah, and so if the the descent without the parachute or canopy is about a minute, and then the actual descent with the canopy is about two minutes, it, it seems like I would assume that probably the first part of the one minute probably feels a lot longer than the actual two minutes of just this slow descent where you're like, okay, everything's actually okay. Between those two verses and then throwing in the chorus, were the were the verses written 
first and then the chorus? The chorus was written first. As Eric hinted at earlier, how immediately the idea of, oh my gosh, a red maneuver, we jumped out of an airplane, this finally is the pin on the song we've been working on. I think that that the chorus was just the immediate outburst of excitement and feelings we had in the length of the situation. The verses were still immediate and chronological look at events in the first verse, and then me looking at it in the second verse like a Kierkegaardian leap of faith or something. Why was it important then to actually say, I am hardly a red maneuver, when that was actually something that was done? It's interesting that it comes back to this idea of like our own self-worth in a way. I was able to achieve a red maneuver, but yet at the end, you know, my day-to-day life is not a red maneuver. So I think that it's mostly about like your own sense of self or self-perception on if you feel like you yourself are living in an exciting or daring state or a daring way when, you know, as we grow up and older and find ourselves with constraints and responsibilities, it's really great to have that immediate physical unavoidable reminder that that option is there for you and that's what the skydive was when we felt it and then later when we conceptualized it into the song another addition to that thought is that the lives that we're currently living right now they do not promote exciting events we're being productive with things we're interested in outside of school or our careers but we have to be productive we can't do it for enjoyment whether it might be something you know an outside goal or music other interests we have other hobbies there's just very little time to really enjoy life for what it is right now and that might be self-placed pressure but it's pressure nonetheless eric why don't we start what's your favorite part of the song so i would say my favorite part of the song is aj's guitar solo i can't speak on how he wrote it or what his influences were but my favorite band is alice in chains And in that guitar solo, I hear a lot of Jerry Cantrell. Mm. And I could listen to that guitar solo on on repeat. I'm so proud of AJ and so happy with what he put together for that. Because originally he did play a different guitar solo. But when we decided to record the song, he came in and told us he's he's like, I'm going to try something new for my Mm. solo on the bridge. And that's what he laid down. And I I think it's perfect. I I wouldn't change a thing about it. I have nothing but great things to say about that part of the song yeah it does have like a very jar of flies kind of vibe to it like the that chromatic part going through there and then like yeah if i can continue a bit oh um, sorry (laughs) no you didn't interrupt me or anything i really really love the part of the song where max's guitar part and aj's guitar part come together and meet on the same chord it's towards the end of the bridge it's just really satisfying to hear that because it's such a great resolution to that part of the song i don't know how true this is but i feel like when we were rehearsing it originally when we were preparing it back when we were blues lawyer jr before we even were considering recording this song i feel like that was stumbled upon they accidentally met at the exact same note and chord at the same time and everyone in the room just knew that that's exactly what we had to do at that point in the song. What is it about in the music creation process that like something that's accidental or serendipitous actually manages to be like so satisfying? It's like, oh yeah, that's that's exactly how it should have happened. And it's also something that you potentially didn't think of wanting to happen, but it somehow just manages to happen. And then it's such a, I don't know, it's, it's one of those 
things that's just great about the songwriting process. But anyway, uh, you were going to yeah. say something, Max? Yeah, yeah, about that, about the the sort of serendipity of pieces coming together and what it means for the song. My favorite part of the song is actually the chorus. I guess it is still technically very call and responsy. When I stop and actually think about it, as opposed to just being like, remember what chords to play, and there's quite literally like a call and response between my guitar and Eric's overdub into Eric's bass into AJ's little lick on top with the whole time Thomas like slowly throwing his lyrics over all of it. The state of like creativity or serendipitously falling upon things that work in the songwriting process with this song, it felt like we had the little fun bass on the galloping verses that were the first things we had in the song and then the rest of the song were just moments where the four of us got together fun fact thomas was actually our drummer and singer at this point in the band so that's him drumming on that recording as well when we were all together and finishing the rest of the song when we realized that this is a song that needs to be finished parts like the chorus and the sort of like post-chorusy little breakdowny section if you can call mm-hmm. it that ends with a diggity which is referenced at the end of the song, talking about looping around and referencing things in the end, um, as well as the bridge. The state of mind that we found ourselves in, or at least I felt and was getting off of everyone else, is somebody would have one idea, and in a very, like, friendly, creative, awesome sense of, like, one-upmanship, if you can even call it that, somebody else would come up with another part. They'd be like, oh, now I realize what I have to do here. And then there would be a third part from the other person in the room that would have that. And those were the parts of the song that really felt like built upon one another and call and responsey. That's how they're made and or at least how you can hear them in the songs. And that's literally how they came to be in the room once the creative juices started flowing. And that's what I think the serendipitous moments that we all come together over when we realize they work is when everyone's light bulbs and gears start clicking at the same time. Why did you pick this song to be the song that you talked about today? It's a number of reasons. The main reason is that the three of us just believe that from our Blues Lawyer Jr. catalog, this song is the best of our songs. Me personally, I don't like to rank our own music. I like all of our music equally. However, this one definitely is a great showcase of our abilities as musicians and lyrical writers, I believe. There's A lot of motifs in this song that you can kind of catch on to by listening to that are entirely intentional. Max brought up the call and response portion and one-upmanship, but it's entirely intentional that the song in each section builds on itself. So even in the intro, it starts with guitar, then drums, then bass, then another guitar. The chorus kind of is more of call and response, but then you get to the bridge, and the bridge goes bass, drums, guitar, second guitar part, guitar solo. There's just a lot of deliberate song building techniques that we used. And I think that it's just most obvious in this song. And larger scale, I think another reason that we chose this song and want to release the Blues Lawyer Jr. EPs on the whole is because, you know, being a band that was just a bunch of college friends coming together we know we're not the first and we won't be the last in terms of the state we existed in blues lawyer jr where we're just friends coming together on the weekend playing in each other's houses and knowing that it's probably going to have to end when one of us like goes our own way with something but the reason that we wanted to choose that song to chronicle both on this podcast and with our releases is to 
also possibly inspire other local acts to do the same. Like we've had bands that have played at houses that are like, oh, we're just friends coming together on the weekend and we're probably going to leave when everyone graduates. It's a very like transient state. It's very fluid. With Blues Lawyer Jr., I I think with our releases and with choosing this song for the podcast, we want to serve as like a sort of inspiration to like, hey, take time to chronicle the fun experiences in your life that are worth remembering for yourself and for all of your friends who are there and care with you. One more quick thought. Us as Blues Lawyer Jr. was a band that was created just to be fun. We were doing this only to have fun. And I think that Airplane, at its core, is a song about doing something fun to spice up your life. And that's just a good reflection of our values as a band, at least in that group. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to support Jubilee Cafe. Jubilee Cafe is a free weekly meal program at Community United Church of Christ, 805 South 6th Street in Champaign, Illinois. Jubilee Cafe serves a home-cooked meal from 5 to 6.30 each Monday. Their mission is to feed hungry people by cooking healthy, delicious meals and by serving their guests restaurant-style with servers waiting on tables. Jubilee Cafe is open to anyone who cares to eat with them. Because food insecurity among students is so high, they serve students as well as others in and around the Champaign-Urbana community who struggle with hunger. Meals are free to all and will be served each Monday evening, located in the accessible lower level of the building at 6th and Daniel Streets in Champaign. For more information on the meal or how to volunteer, Go to the Jubilee Cafe CUCC Facebook page or email them at jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. That's jubilee.cafe at community-ucc.org. Welcome back. So, Eric... What is your favorite Champaign-Urbana venue, past or present? Pretty easy answer for me. I love Waluigi's Mansion. It's, to me, the most professional house venue out there right now. I can't speak too much on the music scene as a whole. I'm a pretty new addition to the Urbana scene. Although I know of a lot of people, I'm not directly familiar with a lot of people in the scene or anything like that. However, the one show we did play at Waluigi's was incredible. The people that run the venue are just amazing guys. They're always willing to cater to bands' needs or requests. They really handle the crowds well. There's never been any issues that I've heard of Mm. that go on at that venue. They're great in every single aspect. I can't have one single complaint. They're professional in every aspect. They're, They're kind. They're extremely thoughtful. And they're just welcoming to anyone who might want to perform there. Even from the perspective of as a performer or even as an audience member, it's a good all-around experience. Absolutely. So, Max, what is your favorite CU Uh, venue? He stole the idea of Waluigi's Mansion out of my mouth. And Eric was talking about being a new addition and playing a show there and it being really nice. I had been going to Waluigi's Mansion since I was a freshman in the fall of 2018. Went to a bunch of shows there as a freshman and as a sophomore. Obviously, the pandemic hit during my sophomore year and they stopped for a while. 
but they came back strong as ever. Same quality performances, same comfortable, friendly environment. They really have built an awesome reputation and have a lot of great acts come there. And it's one of the friendliest and most comfortable houses that I've ever been in. Also want to shout out the Birdhouse when they were here and not here anymore, but Elliot and Mina are superheroes and we miss them very much. I want to shout out the Rose Bowl because for being like, you know, an above ground bar venue, there's a lot of ways that it can get intimidating or less than inviting for college kids to play there. But people like Charlie there, they insist on having music every day and they have people show up and just play and it's so inviting. And another of the great places that I think is just a springboard for new acts and acts that are trying to find themselves and become, you know, more comfortable with performing for a lot of, I can only really speak to the experience of musicians and performers who are, you know, college kids in the area, but that place has always been nothing but inviting and really Mm -hmm. great. The current owners of Rose Bowl have done a really good job of making it into an extraordinary space, whether it's upgrades to their equipment or just being an inviting space. Who'd like to tell me about the Spice Rack? The Spice Rack was conceived of in the summer of 2021. Once it felt safe enough with people to be having events in tight-knit spaces again. I've never lived there, but I've lived nearby, and the house has always been populated by extremely close friends of mine. And we just decided that we have enough of a physical space as well as just enough technology and know-how to use it to start having shows there. Canonically, the first official show to happen there was October 9th, 2021. But the secret first show that actually happened was September 18th, 2021, when a student organization that I'm a leader in called The Punchline RSO had a show at Canopy Club and capacity was met because we were in their first section and they had to start turning people away and there was miscommunications about set times and our closing band, the Data Waves, shout out to those incredible Mm -hmm. guys who have been in Chicago for a while now, they felt that they still had people who wanted to listen and the energy to play. So we brought them to the backyard of the Spice Rack And they just played on a cool night, not chilly, just cool enough for like 45 minutes before the cops showed up because it was 1.40 in the morning and we were playing in a backyard. And I'm like, I I can't even front about that. I understand to stop there. But that's, that's the secret first show. But no, ever since then, we've just been having fun with it. We just had our first show of the semester last night. It's really enjoyable and being able to be a place where people can also enjoy themselves as artists and as uh, concert goers. Also want to take this chance to shout out Gennaro Jr. and the people in the Hip Hop Collective in 404 because he did that when he was on the podcast last time and Mm -hmm. I said I'd shout him out again. So, (laughs) hey Junie, you guys are awesome. 404 House, also an awesome venue. There's so many great places in the West Urbana neighborhood that just come up and people are so nice there. It's really a blessing. Here's the big magic question. During the pandemic, I thought a lot about what makes a good music scene and what maybe even we could do better. So I'm curious, Eric, what do you think makes a good music scene? To me, it's all about intimacy. I don't really 
hold much weight to whether a band puts on a good or bad show. Obviously, if it's really bad, it's going to be, you know, as a whole, or I should say, if the bands as a whole do not put on good shows, then that's obviously not going to make a good scene. But speaking independently of that, intimacy is really important to me. It's really important to have a crowd that you feel like you're just a part of, but you're the one playing the music, you know? Like, you could switch out any person in the crowd for you and they'd be able to play music maybe not the exact same type of music but i've been to plenty of house shows i've performed in plenty of house shows and being up there playing music i don't feel any different i don't feel like i'm on some pedestal i don't feel like i'm you know like me or my band is the highlight of the show the highlight is that everyone is there to have a good time and listen to music it's not that we're there to grow we're not there to make a name for ourselves we're just there to play our music that we put a lot of time and a lot of passion into having a scene that just has a lot of people who you can relate to and having a lot of people who experience similar things is important but certainly the intimacy of of house shows and how close the band is to the crowd and even even little things like getting your gear in and out of the playing area and wherever the the band gear is is fun you might bump into some people you didn't know were at the show and you go put your amp down and you strike up a minute-long conversation with someone you haven't seen in a couple months Mm. the way that you were describing it it felt a lot like i don't know i want to call it like a church potluck right like (laughs) everybody kind of brings something to the mix right and everybody may bring different dishes but in the end everybody's sitting down to enjoy the food or in the metaphor music you know and I think having a wide variety of music in the scene is good. Having a wide variety of people is good. Because when it all comes down to it, what really makes us unified is that we love music, right? It doesn't matter what music it is. It's just that we love music and that we can bounce around as being the thing that we have in common. So, I don't know. Maybe, I don't know if I oversimplified what you're saying, but that's what, that was the kind of vibe I was getting. No, you, you you hit it right on the head. So, for my response to that question, I was trying to run off of a little bit earlier about balancing personability with professionalism. I think Eric has done a great job describing what I would consider the intimacy or personability and how that goes into making a healthy music scene. So, I'll hit on the professionalism part, and I use the two P words for an alliteration effect, but that also has to do a lot with the respect that Mm. I think you might consider the third thing. When you're playing house shows and you're just a bunch of students you're not necessarily signing a bunch of legally binding contracts. Like, your personability and your reputation go a long way in statuses where there's a lot of immediacy and there's a lot of vulnerability. We've had bands that have traveled all the way from, like, Denver, Nashville, or Connecticut to have played at the Spice Rack. The band from Denver was just here last night. And these people are putting so much time and effort on the line to just show and bring people their music and if you're someone who is in a place where you are hosting a venue it really means a lot to be respectful of them and to ensure that they are fairly compensated for their performance and the place that the performance is being had at is safe and comfortable for everyone either through carelessness 
or known negligence, those sorts of things can be overlooked by people. And I think that that is one of the saddest ways that a music scene can go off the rails is when people don't have that concern into the front of their mind with everything that they do. I think that a great music scene is one where people balance out the fun and care that's had with everyone and the ability to respect people's time and efforts in a manner that's personable like so many of the venues and spaces where we have music are. Champagne is also a band podcast is proud to support Exile on Main Street. Exile on Main Street, located in the old train station building at 100 North Chestnut Street in downtown Champaign, has been helping to build record collections since 2004, carrying a wide array of new and used LPs, CDs, and video games. Exile on Main Street has something for just about any music enthusiast and old school gaming devotee. Exile also hosts regular free live music shows on its stage, so be sure to check out their Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages for the up-to-date details on the next upcoming event. Open seven days a week. They can be reached by phone at 217-398-MAIN. That's 217-398-6246. Welcome back. So, Max, what is your favorite non-musical thing? Me and my guys, we like to lift, watch football, and play football video games after that. Oh, and apparently also baseball. Somebody's doing baseball. Big baseball guy right here. He's a stats major now, and he <sighs> just he goes into detail about things that I never could because... Like, I'm inherently more of a football guy, whereas he has a little bit more of a a baseball and basketball background mixed into that. Mm. And whenever the conversations of baseball come up, they start spitting numbers and statistics to me that my gorilla brain just could not comprehend. I'm like, when I think about sports, I think about fast movements and and da da da. I don't want to think about numbers, but the the graceful sport of baseball forces people to do that. Funny enough. I don't really watch too many sports. I mostly look at numbers of sports and draw my conclusions from that. Are are you like, oh, the answer is four. That was a fun game. No, I'm just... (laughs) That's not too far off from how I look at baseball. Not gonna lie. Cool. I guess, Eric, what's your favorite non-musical thing? So, I'm in most agreement with Max. Big sports guy big into lifting i'm a very big gamer i play a lot of competitive games but that that's neither here nor there i'm not too proud of my gaming habits i guess this can be kind of a contentious uh question but if you play football video games i know ea sports always releases a new one every year but everybody has an opinion about which year is the best one to play so i'm curious uh, Max, you seem to have a very strong opinion on this, so please go ahead and tell me which one is your favorite. It's very blase, but the best Madden is twelve, and That's not um, true. <laughs> and um, the best NCAA uh, college football, which we both do together, probably more than even Madden at this point. I think that it really is a 
three-game tie between 06, 12, and 14. Well, Eric, feel free to counterpoint. For me, Madden 18, by far the best Madden. has its issues, but I played that game at least seven hours a day in my freshman year dorm. Holds a very special place in my heart, also in my wallet. Yes, I bet. (laughs) So, I I mean, for football, do you have a favorite team, or are you college, are you pro? We're all Bears fans here, but other teams that we support include the Buffalo Bills, Philadelphia Eagles. I know I stick my neck out for the Niners and Colts every once in a while, but they don't always do that if, if Eric wants to springboard off that. I'm a Bears guy through and through. I couldn't live with myself if I supported another team other than the Chicago Bears. I'm not going to lie. It's fitting that you all went to the U of I because there's so many, you know, the Staley Bears and that kind of thing. And like the relationship between U of I and the Chicago Bears is very long standing rooted in like both their shared histories. So it's kind of perfect. Is there a particular lifting style that you appreciate? My little brother, ever since he started being on a like really awesome schedule both in terms of his diet and his program, and started lifting more than me. I know I'm outing myself here. I had to be like, oh man, it's like friendly competition and motivation between ourselves to do that. I mean, I don't know. We do a push-pull leg split. That means anything to anyone. It's just a really fun, like, healthy way to like, you know, get the jitters out, get the bad thoughts out. In one one nice place where you feel healthier in the body and mind afterwards. Well, I, I was just curious if it was like free weights and mm-hmm. or machine and but yeah. I mean anybody that tends to be a serious lifter does free weights, right? Yeah. Is that pretty much what yes. the, okay? Yeah, all right. Gotcha, Max, Eric. Thank you for being on the show and telling me all about your song Airplane, the Spice Rack, and your favorite Champagne Urbana venues, and your favorite non-musical things. So I really appreciate you coming all the way out here and being on the show. Thank you. Thank you, Sven. This was an awesome experience. I really appreciate you inviting us. It really is an honor to be in the halls of Champagne is also a band and to have our little etch in it. It really is awesome. Thank you for listening to Champagne Is Also a Band Podcast. This is Max Simchak and Eric Paulus reminding you great Great music music is out there. there. Go Go find it where you live. Champagne is also a band. You almost have an NPR voice. It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> studio.
You could do every other word. That's fun. What do we want to do? No. Thank you for listening to... Let's do it like, thank you for listening to Champagne is also a band podcast. <laughs> like the Beastie Boys. <laughs> every other like word. every few fa- phrases. I'll, we'll, we'll back and forth. Thank you. For, thank you for listening to Champagne is also a band podcast. And we both hit on podcast at the same time. <laughs>